calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Being a part of every community, no matter what planet it's on, it's episode 427 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and yeah, a couple of really fun interviews this week, going to talk about Season 2 of Rutherford Falls, and we'll take a look back at that and hopefully get a Season 3. Going to be talking to Kanye Dio Horn and Janish Mining, who play Feather Day and Regan, respectively, about everything that happened on Season 2. We might get a little bit spoilery, but really just looking ahead about a possible third season and really crossing our fingers for that as well. Also going to be talking to the star and the creator creators of Farzar from Netflix, the crazy new animated series. So Lance Reddick going to join the show to talk about Renzo, also Roger Black and Waco Gwen. Going to talk about just creating the wild world of Farzar and one that is if you've if you've watched any of it already, it is beyond insane. That's the best description I could possibly give you. A lot of reviews to this week, too. Going to talk about the Miss Marvel finale and the M-Word. Also going to talk about the new Resident Evil live-action series from Netflix. Give a review of that. Also, the Bob's Burgers movie, since it's now on digital. Going to review that as well. We'll talk some Lord of the Rings, the Monsters, and give an update on all things Comic-Con. Yes, I will be at Comic-Con once again this year. So excited to be back there in person to give you all of the wonderful coverage. So make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. This is a good week to do that so you don't miss any of the coverage. Also follow at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram. That's where you'll find a lot of the stuff as well. But first, hey, we got to talk about this week's show first, right? We're going to head to Farzar, talk to Lance Reddick and the series creators. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO. And you are listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Buckle up for one of the wildest animated series that you'll ever see. Farzar is now streaming on Netflix. And let me tell you, this is unlike any animated series I've ever seen before. So I absolutely had to talk to the creators of the series. That would be Roger Black and Waco O'Gwen. Also, one of the stars of the show as well, Lance Riddick, who voices Renzo on the show, 
join me as well. Wait till you hear some of the stuff they had to say about the show. Roger Waco, Lance, how you guys doing? Good. Hey. How you doing? Thanks, Thanks for having us. So, guys, it feels like there's no rules and no limits to this series whatsoever, and I love it. So how'd you come up with this crazy world? We were just looking for something after we did Brickleberry, which we, we had this idea before Paradise, something that was just completely different. And we've always wanted to do a sci-fi show. We're huge fans of uh, Masters of the Universe. And this is just kind of a dream job for us. And so we, we, we had it before Paradise. It didn't sell then. Then we did Paradise. Netflix wanted another show. So we revamped it, changed it up. Yeah, here we are, season one. Awesome, awesome. Lance, man, it sounds like you're having a blast with this character, Renzo. What was your first impression of the character when you started diving into the scripts and just the series in general? It, I mean, I don't want to because it was just, I feel like anything I see is being the obvious. It was just so funny and so much fun. So a lot of it was just trying to get through episodes without you know, continually, constantly laughing. And the other thing was, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate uh, the past few years, especially the past five or six years where I've been able to do some pretty outrageous comedy, but this one takes the cake. Oh, this more than takes the cake. This takes the whole, the bakery. I mean, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, that's just, that's just where I was at when I was watching the show. Now, where there's a hero, obviously there's a villain, of course. So uh, how do you guys describe Bazarak for anybody that's coming in fresh? unqualified <laughs> <laughs> to say the least he's you know he just needs to be loved he's got a hole inside of him and it's i don't think it's so much about taking over the city as uh, that he just needs he needs a lot of love he's probably had a pretty rough childhood or something <laughs> he's got some insecurities you know he's got he definitely needs a little uh little time on the therapy couch there yeah. <laughs> and well, so I think I think that he's not the only one in this show. That's for sure. We'll get to that in just a second. But uh, Ren, Renzo and Prince Feichel aren't your typical father son combination. That's for sure. So, Lance, how would you actually describe their relationship and just Feichel in general? Feichel is <laughs> as, as a parent, it's, being a parent is just that, oh, this annoying thing that I have to keep dealing with. And Feichel is just this, this annoying son that I have to keep dealing with who keeps managing to get in my way because I have to appease him because he comes, he, he, if push comes to shove, he, he can run to his mother and I need to appease her because I want to stay in power. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, one of the best parts of the show, everybody, is is the Shat Squad, for sure. There's no question about that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go around the room here and ask everybody, do you have a favorite member? Because I kind of go back between Val and Mal and Scooty. So I want to know what you guys think. Who's your favorite member? So hard to say. I, I mean, I, I love them all. They're like they're like kids. I definitely love Scooty. I definitely, uh, we love Jerry Minor from from Brickleberry. It, it, Scooty's great. He really definitely shines in the second episode. Roger, what do you think? Yeah, Scooty's great. I, I, we have a soft spot in our heart for Billy as well because he's like this huge monstrosity. You know, mm -hmm. like like this island of Doctor Moreau, like horrible creation by Barry. But you you. You kind of feel bad for him, you know? He's like the John Merrick elephant man of the show. You know, he's got a big heart. Uh, he's probably got three cow hearts, but a lot of <laughs> Yeah, I'm a Scooty man. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I just, that's, my, that's my man. Yeah. That's a good, and you guys actually have some good moments in the in the first few episodes here, uh, Renzo and Scooty too. So that's, that's something really cool that, yeah. uh, that I think fans have got to look forward to. But far as our, I think, again, crazy world, that you all kind of work real life of relatable humor 
in the show and even an homage to classic cartoons on occasion as well, which I picked up on in the first few episodes. So how much fun was it to be able to work that in, but also not make it feel forced at the same time? Yeah, you know, the He-Man thing is is very, very obvious with, uh, with the dynamic. And then, uh, you know, with the little Scooby-Doo reference, which was a lot of fun. You got to do an original song for that. And then the twist on that was, was also pretty cool. But yeah, we we're huge fans of 80s cartoons. Any Anytime we can make reference to those, we're pretty happy. Oh, yeah. Lance, I got to ask, man. So the character design for Renzo, when you saw it, first of all, what'd you think of it? And second of all, I mean... I can't help but picture like the live action cosplay version of this. Are we ever going to see that? Because I, I got to say that that's something I need to see in my life. I'm sorry, Lance. Well, I mean, I, I, when I saw it, I thought it was cool as fuck. Oh yeah, go ahead. Fire away. <laughs> Look at the show we're talking about, Lance. Come on. <laughs> but anyway, an idealized me with blonde hair. Well, at least at the beginning, <laughs> you know, the He-Man, the 80s He-Man version. I thought that was that was just so funny. I don't know if I'm up to doing all the ab work anymore. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> get a, a, a body double for that. I thought you were going to worry about the, I thought you would be more worried about the pecs work. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you got those. Pecs and a belt. No, well, that, see, then there you go. We'll just do it like on Zoom. We'll do, we'll do, we'll do chest up, and then you won't have to worry about the abs at all. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've been working on my uh, what's my boy from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh yeah. Oh Terry. Terry. Terry, Terry yeah. Cruz. Yeah, that. Can't do it like Terry, but you know a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I just, I was talking about Renzo, the character design for that for that character, but this show has some of the craziest characters and designs that I've ever seen. And like any animated series ever. So for, for you, Waker and Roger, what was it like working with the animators to create these unique designs? Because I know animators will draw anything, but but how cool was it working with everybody to, to put these crazy characters together? Bento has some of the best recruiting for animation and character design, background designs. Like we would pretty much, you know, we would hold hands a lot on our first animated show, but this one... Like we knew that we had strong character designers. We would give them, you know, kind of an idea of what they wanted the character to be. And Thomas, our character designer, was just, he would just kill it, you know, every time. He loved working on this show. I can imagine with some of the characters you guys came up with, how could you not love working on this show? Lance, I got another one for you, for you, man, because there's a bit of a twist, and I don't want to spoil it, but there's a bit of a twist in the first few episodes when it involves Renzo's character. We get to learn a little bit more about him that we might not expect so talk about how you feel like the character kind of evolves throughout the season man I, honestly i i haven't finished the first three episodes and we we recorded so long ago i really don't remember what happens <laughs> well um, then you can't spoil it because you don't remember yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean aside from the fact that queen flammy has you know an affair with can i say it oh yeah go ahead Anna, <laughs> and that and that renzo well uh, now, I don't know if, now this stuff's coming back to me. I don't know if I can spoil this. Uh, the whole CL thing. Did I say that guy? Now we're talking in code. I love it. <laughs> I didn't even know what CL. What is it? We don't even know. So if word is, starts with CLO. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. It's coming out Friday. Who cares? <laughs> and this will air on Friday. So again, who cares? <laughs> if you were to spell it out, it would be clone. So he's going to... Oh, I see. <laughs> got, Anyways, Renzo tries to avoid got, having sex. Uh, because yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's like once a year, Flammy's like, you know, we have uh, uh, a, a marathon bondage sex thing. 
And so he has a clone do that because Renzo spends the entire series trying to avoid having sex with Flammy at any cost. Yeah, you definitely get to see that throughout the series. And there's a heck of a lot more where that came from, too, when Farzar premieres. Actually, it's streaming now because this will air on Friday. So streaming now on Netflix. And you guys are not ready, but that is a good thing. Watch this show. Roger Waco, Lance, guys, thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think by now, you know, you can go a little bit more crazy in animation than you can in live action. But even then, I, I, I was not even prepared for some of the stuff that I saw on Farzar. And, and if you've seen the trailer, you, you kind of know a little bit of what to expect. But there's even more. I could tell you that much right now. And, and it's just, it's so outrageously funny, especially in certain moments. That it's it really is, and I I believe this unlike any other animated series that you've seen before. Stream it for yourself right now on Netflix. Farzar season one, and I think that you'll agree it is just bonkers. So thanks to Waco Gwyn, Roger Black, and of course the great Lance Reddick for joining me this week to talk about Farzar. Up next, gonna head to Rutherford Falls and talk about season two with Ganyatio Horn and Jana Schmiding. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Audrey Esparza from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. There's a new mayor and plenty of new twists in season two of Rutherford Falls, now streaming on Peacock and Hope for a season three. Yeah, I know that you are. I am too. So I thought it was a good time to talk to a couple members of the cast this week to, you know, get a little bit of a recap of senior season two. So we're going to talk to Feather Day herself, Kanye Dio Horn, and of course, Janice Schmeeting, who plays Regan. And they had a lot of really cool stuff to say about this season. So maybe a little bit of spoilers ahead. If you haven't watched season two yet, just be aware of that. But let's hear my conversation with them. Jana, Kanye Dio, how you doing? Good, how are you? Very, very good, thank you. So it's been a couple weeks now since the premiere of season two. So looking back, for the both of you, what was your favorite part about this season? Jenna, you go. Oh, so many favorite parts. I just really, one of my favorite parts is all the new characters. I, I really like had so much fun um, getting to know Dio on set and, you know, forging stronger friendships with our current cast, but also, you know, getting to dive into Wayne and Sally a little bit more. And, you know, we had Dallas Goldtooth um, playing Regan's love interest this season. And so, you know, I think that we're like sort of season two is helping to solidify the Minashanka nation and then sort of the native element. And I just, I hope that that world expands further. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't in the first season, but I got to jump in in the second season, which I am, I'm so grateful that I got to be a part of this. And I think what I took away from being a part of the second season was, you know, being able to do comedy at this level with other indigenous people was just, yeah, it was a dream come true, honestly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Jenna, for you, this was a very empowering season for Regan. How excited for, were you to see such growth for her this season and taking on so many important projects because she had her hands on a lot of on a lot of stuff this season. Yeah, I think that um, we, you know, wrote Regan sort of, I, I like to call it stumbling into her power. <laughs> She's confronted with the success. And, and of course, that sort of the process of leveling up has comes with its own challenges um, in community and out of community. And so we get to see her navigating and sort of getting closer to Terry Thomas vibes where, you know, she's able to actually solve problems herself. No doubt about that. And Kanye Dio, Feather Day's run for mayor 
this season was definitely one of my favorite parts of the season. I really, really loved that little back and forth. So what was it like sort of, I guess, becoming the villain this season in a certain way? And how much fun was it working opposite Jesse in those scenes that you all had together during the campaign? For some reason, I feel like my typecast is the villain. So it wasn't that hard to, you know, <laughs> other days our knee-high boots on. It was you know, it was, it came kind of easy to me. And I'm like, should I be worried? Am I a villain? Uh, <laughs> but I, doing that whole thing and working opposite Jesse was, again, like, it was amazing. And the cast, the crew, the showrunner, you know, the showrunner, Sierra, I think just like, you know, really sets this tone from, from that level that kind of trickles its way down. You know, it it's, you know, she's not, she didn't hire any assholes. <laughs> Everybody is an absolute pleasure to work with. And I felt very, very welcomed. You know, I have guests starred and stuff and recurred on different shows like that have already been established. And this was just such an easy thing to walk onto. They made plus, it very, very easy. Plus villains always come disguised with free swag. That's, you the, know, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest cliffhangers of this season, Jenna, is at the end where Regan, the Josh, he's kind of returned to Rutherford Falls full time now. It's season two of his podcast that he's going to be working on. So looks like she just kind of leveled up in a relationship with Nelson a little bit. Thus, could we could we be talking love triangle here? We could be. You know, that all depends on a season three. Otherwise, we just get left with this cliffhanger that never gets resolved. But yeah, ultimately, the hope is that, you know, Regan has to scramble around making a decision about which extremely hot dude she has for you <laughs> oh, it's so hard to be you right now uh, really it absolutely does not represent anything that's happening in my real life so <laughs> this is a fiction folks oh boys Ganyadio, i can't imagine feather day is just gonna go away after losing the election you know just walk away quietly no big deal or anything She's definitely not on board with the new cannabis initiative either. We saw that towards the end of the season as well. So how much can you tease for us about in a potential next season? What's what's next for her? Could she be going after Terry, maybe? I mean, she's going to go after somebody to get what she wants. So I'm going to have to wait and see. <laughs> I'm ready for the challenge. I'm ready for the challenge. <laughs> Yoga and meditation is not going to be the route I think she's going to go. So that's, that's just not going to work out. <laughs> Jenna, when Regan talked about a plan for her land in that singles community, I thought that was a really, really cool idea and a big surprise, too, for the end of the season as well. So I want actually for the both of you, do you both kind of feel like this is a chance to dive even deeper into the community as a whole and show a little bit more of that in the third season as well? Absolutely. I think one of the viewers of our show, I think an Indigenous viewer, tweeted about the fact that she is establishing a, a tiny home community on her reservation. So I, I do think that, you know, especially Native people, like, we are excited about seeing our own stories being reflected back to us. Like, these are real moves that we're actually making in our lives and real inner community issues that we're sort of, like, adding some comedy sauce to and, and throwing it in the pan. And so I... I I am so hopeful that we get more opportunity to to tell these stories because we will we have so many untapped stories to unveil to a wider audience. This is the first of its kind. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that you know with the first season as a viewer, I wasn't part of it, but as a viewer I really felt like there was a lot of really intelligent work in the way that they laid down the groundwork for this setting and so that for the second season 
they you know they really got to dive deeper into the characters and i think the third season fourth season fifth season you know <laughs> i think it's going to i think it's just going to get more fun and you know yeah these stories are i think yeah i'm really excited to see what happens with this and really quickly adding on to that a little bit for the both of you what is your hope for a potential third season when you do get that news here coming up hopefully shortly gosh what is my hope? My hope is that get to dive into some of these side characters a little bit more. We get to see Bobby Yang, perhaps a love interest for Bobby Yang. We can, you know, we can see Feather Day's family and, you know, what it's like running a gym. <laughs> you know, of course, <laughs> like, uh, I, I want to see, you know, Wayne's life, like how many kids he has and how many baby mamas he has. <laughs> I'm just like, we got to get into the Minishanka nation. Yeah, it's not done, man. It's not done. It's just <laughs> oh, it's far from done. And one of the ways that you can help get a season three is make sure you're binging seasons one and two of Rutherford Falls right now on Peacock. Do that. Help them out. They deserve a third season. And like Cañetillo said, a lot more. Jana Cañetillo, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. And this really is a show that's unlike any other show that you're going to see and it represents people that you don't normally get to see represented and in a big way too by the way so that the, there's that but there's also this just just very easy comedy mixed in and I say easy because it, it just feels so natural and just feels like you're also a part of the community which I really really love and as someone I mean myself that has Native American heritage it's really really cool to see this on the screen, and I really, really hope that we get to see more of Rutherford Falls, which is now streaming on Peacock, like I said, seasons one and two. Hopefully we get word about a season three here very, very soon. Again, thanks to Jane and Cagnetillo for joining me to talk about Rutherford Falls this week. Up next, going to get into some reviews, talk about Miss Marvel, the spoiler-filled review of the Miss Marvel season one finale. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. There's more than a little bit of damage control going on this week. It is the season one finale of Miss Marvel, which of course aired on Disney+. Plus. Time for my spoiler-filled review of that and kind of the entire series overall. And basically this is Kamran running from damage control and, and everybody else trying to keep him safe. That's basically where we're at in this episode and of course and again a lot of spoilers ahead for this you know Cameron has no idea what happened to his mother and the clandestines and what happened there so of course when he finds out the, that doesn't really set well with him and there's some friction with Kamala there as well what I have to say though is that before I get too deep into this is that Bruno deserves a lot of credit I mean he's a better man than I am for sure I mean the way he's helping Cameron out I'm not saying I would just give Kamran up to damage control, but at the same time, this is the guy that's basically trying to steal Kamala. And and Bruno clearly wants to be with Kamala. They've never really had that conversation. 
This is one of the more awkward love triangles that I've seen in a while, especially in a, in a character with in, in a show with some young characters in it. And he is going above and beyond to help Kamran. I mean, he gets he gets hurt a couple different times, gets punched in the face by damage control, and just keeps going. And one of the reasons is a he's a good dude, but b he knows that that will make Kamala happy, and that will just that that's something that she really really wants is for Kamran to be safe. So he helps him out, and I, I got to say, that that's just the way that Bruno stepped up like that. And Bruno really did step up in these last couple of episodes, for sure. He's just, I, I think that that says a lot about him. But we'll get back to Bruno here in a second, because I have to say that the Kamala really not only came into her own really quickly with her abilities, but at the same time, the way she came up with the plan to sort of kind of get Kamran out of the high school... I thought was really, really neat. Didn't work out as well as I think they'd hoped, of course. But the way that she kind of put the whole thing together, I thought was neat. And it was almost like, it was very age appropriate, which I love. This was like the most high school way to try and do this with like all of the, all of the baseballs that were being, and softballs that were being fired at the, at the, at the guards there. You also had the big, you know, science experiment exploding throughout the school and doing things that way and you know kind of the trickery that was going on I really loved that that was such an age appropriate way to handle that whole thing because it wouldn't have made sense if it was this technical you know really elaborate plan sort of thing and it was elaborate but in a, in a very unique way so I thought that that was a really it really fit the show very very well and I thought that was a really really good choice by all of the writers and I love that Nakia and and Kamala had their little moment where, you know, Kamala's like, you know, I thought you were going to be mad at me. And they kind of made up there. I also loved earlier in the episode when we find out that Mama Bear makes her suit. She's the one that actually makes her Miss Marvel suit. And then Dad is the one that kind of helps her come up with the Miss Marvel name. I loved that connection. And I loved how things evolved with Kamala's parents. I thought that was a really, really cool part of this first season. The only criticism I have is that it kind of just happened right it did this show didn't have a whole lot of time to really flesh out a lot of different things and i wish that we could have gotten a couple of more episodes to kind of let things breathe a little bit longer it definitely felt like the pace had to be picked up in the final few episodes now i still think that they rounded out the season very very nicely and they you know they did what needed to be done but i think you know Time that was spent on the fifth episode, a little bit more of that could have been spent, you know, with the present day stuff because there was still a lot that needed to be tied up there and a lot that needed to be, you know, dealt with. So I, I just think that that is one thing I probably wouldn't have done. I probably would have done the fifth episode differently. And I still enjoyed what I saw in the fifth episode. But as you could see in this sixth episode of the first season, the finale episode, the, the things did kind of feel like they were hit. You, you hit the fast forward button a little bit, you know, maybe not to like a two, but certainly like a 1.5, but everybody jumping in to help out too. Zoe helping out Amir helping out as well. Even the, even the, the head of the mosque helping out too. Everybody wanted to make sure that Kamran was safe regardless. And I thought that that was really, really neat and, and damage control and agent Deaver getting hers in the end, I thought it was really interesting. You know, she goes against orders. And what do you think is going to happen when you when you go against orders? Especially when 
the whole thing kind of blows up in your face. And it really, really did blow up in her face. But I think that we get to see Kamala really, really, you know, shine in front of the community. I thought that was really important. And you see, you know, like all the fake TikTok videos at the end, everybody kind of throwing their support behind her. And she was very unsure of herself and her journey as a hero. And then you get to kind of see that moment that you have at the end where she gets to have that big hero moment in front of her community. I thought that was super, super important in establishing where she's going. But, you know, now that Bruno's going off to school and Nakia's, of course, sticking around and the, and the family knows and the secret's out, it lets a lot of the pressure off. But at the same time, I, I don't think that we're completely done with the pressure. I want to talk about a couple of the big things, though, that happened in this episode, especially towards the end. Of course, when Bruno's talking about going through Kamala's genetic makeup and things like that, and saying that she's different, and then they use the M word, mutation. And then you hear just a little snippet, right, of the X-Men animated series music in there. They just kind of snuck that in, they thought we wouldn't notice, and absolutely we noticed that. First of all, I think that this is the official, we're just not going to talk about the Inhumans anymore moment for the MCU. I think that we're pretty much done with Inhumans. I mean, we got to see Black Bolt and Doctor Strange, but at the same time, I I don't think that the focus is going to be on the Inhumans at all, especially when, you know, now that the X-Men can be a part of the fold, I think you get them in as soon as you possibly can. And and having that connection to Miss Marvel, though, I thought was really interesting way to go about it. Maybe it's because this one's now and they don't really want to wait. So they kind of throw their weight behind that. So how this is going to play out will be very interesting. And then seeing Brie Larson's Captain Marvel in, in a sort of a moment where it almost looks like they swapped swapped places where Carol Danvers ended up where Kamala is and Kamala Khan's going to end up wherever Carol Danvers was. And maybe that's the basis for what is going to be the Marvel's movie that we are going to be getting. And of course, Carol's pretty surprised and and like, you know, what am I doing here? And I need to get out of here immediately sort of thing, which was really, really fun. But that's the, that's the key word for this show is that it was fun and it did have a lot of really important representation in there and it and it was representation and showing you the community like I thought the wedding episode was really really fun and I thought that that was a really really cool way to display the Pakistani culture and of course we get we get to spend some time in the mosque and learn about that's it and learn about what goes on in there at least it's in some in some manner speaking as well I thought that that was a really important part of the show but then you also mix Kamala's hero journey in there and the journey that she has to go on with her own family and you know just kind of everybody realizing who Kamala is and who she can be and giving her the opportunity to be able to do that and watch Kamala's you know sort of break the rules but prove herself at the same time and not an easy thing to do in her family specifically so I thought that those two elements were very, very cool. They, they kind of sort of got combined together. Was this show perfect? Not not by any stretch of the, imagine, the imagination. It wasn't perfect. It definitely felt rushed at times, but I did like how they introduced the whole Red Dagger aspect. I liked how they did that too. There were so many things 
that they did right with this show. And that's one of the reasons why I really wished they could have given them a little bit more time and maybe a couple of more episodes to be able to stretch this out just a little bit more because I think it would have made the story that much better. I think that would have been the difference between this being a very good show and a great show. Hopefully they get a chance to do that in a second season and we see a little bit more of that in the Marvels as well. That We, we have no idea what the plot could be for that. I'm sure that, that that's going to take up a whole lot of time, but at least we know we're getting more Iman Vellani as Miss Marvel, and there's nothing wrong with that because she was definitely the standout and was fantastic in the role. Can't wait to see more of her. Let's get it over my spoiler-filled review of Miss Marvel, the season one finale. Up next, going to talk about Resident Evil, the new live-action series from Netflix. I'll give you my spoiler-free review of that one next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tim Rozon from Winona Earp on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The Pesky Umbrella Corporation is at it again. It is season one of the new Resident Evil series from Netflix. I know it dropped on Thursday, but I want to give a spoiler-free review of the first season just in case you haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. And again, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of detail because I don't want to spoil anything. But if you're if you're wondering about the whole Albert Resker thing, I want to get this out right away. They do explain how he's alive. So if you're a fan of the games and you're wondering, oh, okay, what the hell's going on here? They do get into that. So don't don't worry about that if you haven't had a chance to see it yet. That is something that they go ahead and get into. But this actually takes place in two timelines. In case you don't know, it takes place in 2022, you know, before the a little bit before the end, and then 2336, which is very much in the aftermath of the end. So you get to see kind of kind of both sides of things, and you've also got. Albert Wesker's daughters, Jade and Billy, who play a big, big part in the story, or at least in the more so in the 2022 version, I would say than in the 2026, 2036 version. But that's the other thing, too, is that that's the that's really the kind of trick with a show like this is that, you know, you're playing with two timelines, especially two timelines that are, you know, vastly far away from one another. So. I found myself ultimately being more interested in the 2022 timeline. And part of that is because that Sienna Ogadong and Tamara Smart were just so fantastic as Billy and Jade, respectively, that I just, you know, I really, really thought that not just the acting, but, but the writing in the 2022 version as well was just a, a little bit higher. And there was a little bit, there was more detail. I, there was just more to get invested in. And of course, Lance Reddick, who I've talked to earlier in the show, is just fantastic as Albert Wesker. And just seeing the the way that the Umbrella Corporation was operating in that timeline was just more fascinating to me. And not to say that 2036 didn't have its it's good things too. Like some of the some of the creatures that they had in the 2036 timeline were just out of bounds. They were just ridiculously crazy. And I, and I loved that. And of course, you know, Jade's journey in 2036, I, you know, that that's an intriguing one as well. But ultimately, there just wasn't enough there for me to get super invested in other than, of course, you know, Jade trying to get away from the umbrella and get away and stay away from the Umbrella Corporation. And, you know, there's obviously there's plenty of suspense there. But if you're looking for the better story, then it definitely resides 
in the 2022 timeline. So I kind of found myself drifting towards, well, I wish they'd just done that for season one. No disrespect to anybody that was in this 2036 timeline. But if they would have just focused on 2022 and almost like towards the end of this season, you know, teased a 2036 timeline where, okay, eventually this is where we're going to get eventually, or this will be season two or something like that. Right. But just give me all that 2022 stuff and then focus on 2036. And I, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, so you were just assuming they think they're going to get a second season. It's resident evil. It's you're going to probably get a second season. That's a, that's some confidence that I would have had if I was putting this show together. Like, okay, or maybe you even try and get that. You, the shows have gotten two season commitments before. This wouldn't be unheard of, especially at Netflix, where you say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you the 2022. This is where we're going to go after the fact. So we could do one of two things. We can either mix these two things together, or we can let one breathe and then let the other one breathe. And I think that that just kind of would have been a little bit better. Although if you're a fan of the Resident Evil games, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. You're going to certainly see, you know, plenty of stuff, uh, plenty of Raccoon City stuff in this as as well. There, there's plenty of winks and nods that I think I saw some winks and nods to, to Resident Evil 5 in there as well. So there, there's plenty there to love if you're a Resident Evil fan. There's also a little bit to get frustrated about if you're a Resident Evil fan. But I thought the character designs were ultimately very, very good as well, I thought that, again, that the Wesker family, they did that very, very well. And it was very well acted, too. That's one thing you've got to give this series. As far as the acting goes and the casting, this might be some of the best acting and casting that you that they've had for a Resident Evil adaptation project ever. If, if Certainly in a long time. I will say that for sure. But... The, the getting more even more focus on the Wesker family, I think, would have been really, really neat to do in this series. So I would say that this was a good adaptation. I think that they did a pretty good job in this first season. And I, and I certainly think while it's going to be complicated on what to do in a season two based on the way this season ended, again, no spoilers, it, it's going to be a little complicated. But at the same time, I think it's worthwhile to have a second season and to see where this storyline Goes So now we don't know anything about whether or not we're going to get that yet. We'll have to wait and find out. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised at all, though. But I think Resident Evil, this was definitely a good effort by Netflix on the live action side. And I think that this really works as a series as well. So I really do think that was a smart choice, too. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the Resident Evil series from Netflix. Up next, I'll do a quick review of the Bob's Burgers movie because it's, it's out on digital now from 20th Century Studios, so I want to give a spoiler-ish review of that and some of the special features that you'll see next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Fielding, Zordon from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Those buns definitely look bigger on the big screen. The Bob's Burgers movie, of course, now available on digital and available this coming week, too, as well, on Blu-ray and DVD from 20th Century Studios. And I wanted to actually give a spoiler-free review of the movie real quick, even though it's been out. I get that, but I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't, that didn't get a chance to see it in theaters and wants to see it this way. I will say this: there was a lot more music than I expect than I expected in this movie. It was it was basically kind of a half musical in a, in a in a funny way. Although, if you're a classic fan of Bob's Burgers, if you're a longtime fan, you're gonna love this thing. You've probably already seen it if you're a big fan. But you are going to love this movie. 
if you haven't gotten a chance to see it yet because this is so Bob's Burgers. You you want to talk about a, a movie that doesn't forget its TV roots and what made people love the show in the first place? This movie does not do that. If anything, it leans into that. And I respect the hell out of them for it because you almost get the idea that you have to change what you do because you're doing a movie, right? And you're adapting something for the big screen. And they actually went the other way with it. And they actually decided, yeah, let's just go ahead and do what we always do. And then throw some music in there and, you know, throw a little bit bigger story because, you know, there's a murder mystery involved here. You'll also have the will they, won't they lose the business aspect of the whole thing as well. And the stress that that puts on the family. You also get all the kids get their own little journey to here. But I, but I also think that Louise's journey was really, really great in this movie and how they kind of propped her up. I thought was really, really cool. And her being a big part of that mystery, ultimately and trying to figure out what happened in this little murder mystery. I thought that that was a really cool way to go. And just in general, the vibe of this movie was just so fun. And there's a reason I was wondering, because I was never a huge Bob's, Bob's Burgers fan until recently when actually my, my son started watching it. So it got me to start watching it a little bit more. And I'm like, okay, I understand why this, this show has like a line down the, down the convention hall at Comic-Con all the time. Because people love this show and I can see why because of these characters and the way that it's written and the performances. And I also love that you've got the original voice cast from the series in the movie as well. Because again, you adapt something to the big screen, you, you, you know, some of the temptation is to go out and get, you know, big name stars to voice the same characters. And they didn't do that. And again, a lot of respect for them for not doing that because it just wouldn't have been the same. So it just, it felt like Bob's Burgers. And I thought that that was really, really a good thing. And then you dive into the special features that they have for this thing. Of course, you get the making of the movie and things like that. But one of the things I always love, especially with animation, is there's a lot of animatic stuff that they give you. You also have quite a few uh, animating the scene special features as well, where it can actually go through like the raw animation for certain things. In the, and again, I don't want to spoil anything, but certain big scenes in the movie, they go through some of the animations on how that was drawn. Even some of the even some of the deleted scenes that they have with commentary have that animatics feel as well. So you get like almost the raw storyboard element of this, along with a little bit of extra commentary and things like that from behind the scenes of these things. Plus, you you can also watch the movie with commentary by the filmmakers as well. So that's always something that I think is really really neat. If you want to dive a little bit deeper into the way that this movie was made and into if you're a fan of animation at all and you want to see how these things get put together and how they look in their more raw form and if you, how they go through the steps of actually from the beginning of like a storyboard to what you see on the screen, then they have a lot of great special features on this. Plus you also get the theatrical short, my butt has a fever and that's all you, that's all you need to know. I don't need to give you any more information on that. That's all you need to know about this short. And you get a couple of different versions of that as well. So definitely worth your time. The Bob's Burgers movie now available on digital HD from 20th Century Studios. I should mention that 20th Century Studios did give me a free copy of this digital movie for review. All opinions here are my own and they are good ones because I definitely enjoyed the Bob's Burgers movie from 20th Century Studios. It'll also be available this coming week 
on Blu-ray, DVD, 4K as well if you want to go ahead and pick that up too. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the Bob's Burgers movie. Up next, there's some nerd news to get to, talking about some trailers. I'll update you on some Comic-Con stuff that you can expect for next week as well. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Christine Adams from Black Lightning, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Just taking a stroll through Middle Earth, it's time for nerd news. And we get probably the best look yet at Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power series, which is going to be coming to Prime Video on September the 2nd. So we get a really good trailer right before Comic-Con, and we get to see Galadriel and her vision of what is going to end up happening in Middle-Earth. And I love how kind of at the beginning of the trailer, everybody sort of tells her, you know, lay down your sword. Everything's good, you know, just kick back, relax, you know, have second breakfast or something. It's all good now. And she's like, you guys haven't seen what I've seen. And then she's like, no, really? You haven't seen what I've seen. And then you can tell that they're just about to experience it in a hurry. And you get to see all sorts of different characters in this trailer. They kind of get thrown at you a little bit fast and furious there. And then you get to find out, yeah, that everything's about to go to hell. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before you got to pick the sword back up again. And I got to say, you know, fire everywhere and things like that. But then at the end of the trailer, which I really love this. You just get to see, well, I'm, I'm assuming they're hobbits. I shouldn't assume that, but that, that's what I'm assuming. Just kind of strolling through a field and taking this walk in this like beautiful scenery. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, would it be Lord of the Rings if there wasn't some sort of, hey, let's we're just going to go for a long walk type of scenes? Because you have to have that in Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or whatever. It just wouldn't be that unless there was some sort of a long stroll or just this idea of a long journey. So I love that that's kind of how they ended this first trailer. It's like, yeah, we're there, there's going to be a lot of walking because that's that's part of the Lord of the Rings lore. But, I mean, I think we're, it's this is the trailer that kind of tells you as a Lord of the Rings fan that if you loved the movies, like, you're going to get a little bit of everything here again, too. And it looks like they're going to try and give us a little bit of everything in the first season. Is that going to be a smart thing to do? I don't know. We're going to have to wait to see how the story kind of plays out and how much of a slow burn this is going to be or if they're going to just kind of hit the ground running and get right into it. They, see, see, because they're kind of safe, though, because they know they have more story that they're going to be able to tell in a second season for sure. So you could play that a little bit safe, although I'm sure they kind of knew that even beforehand, right? So you can slow burn this thing if you want to, but you don't want it to be too much of a slow burn either because, you know, Lord of the Rings fans can get a little impatient when it comes to stuff like that. So I, I do think that, you know, character-wise, everything, everything looks good to, as far as I'm concerned, as far as character designs and set designs and things like that. You, you could just tell it, every little look we get of this teases the epic scale of why this is going to be a hugely expensive series and why that's likely going to end up being very, very worth it. So again, September the second, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, that's what's going to be coming to Prime Video. And I'll, I'll keep you updated on some of the Comic-Con happenings from Lord of the Rings as well. I also wanted to talk about this, the, the trailer for the Monsters movie, the Rob Zombie's Monsters movie from Universal, which is also going to be coming in September. And I got to say, this is, it's a little bit of an odd trailer. I'll give you that. But but I got to tell you that the way that they tried to to modernize this a little bit, but also 
kind of give you that 50s vibe at the same time with this thing is I think is really really interesting and and of course highlighting the you know the the courtship if you will of Herman and Lily Munster it, it, I think is really really cool and and I got to say they really nailed it with Sherry Moon Zombie because I I think that her as Lily Munster really re- they they really really nailed that casting I think anyway and then you've got Jeff Daniel Phillips as Herman and you want to talk about character designs they did a fantastic job I think with the character designs for these characters I'll throw Grandpa in there as well and you can tell Grandpa not a fan of Herman in this trailer and I think it's interesting too though that you kind of see you know Herman and Lily it's like they're like jet setters, right? It clearly that looks like they're kind of trying to, you know, go travel all over the world sort of thing. But ultimately, you know, they end up moving, you know, from Transylvania into the suburbs. And you kind of get to see a little bit of that teased in the trailer as well. But one of the things about this is it's funky. It's offbeat. But I think that that's actually going to end up being the appeal of this thing, right? Because you wouldn't want to go full classic adaptation but you also wouldn't want to fully modernize it and try and make this like a you wouldn't want to try and like make a deep horror when it's not deep horror right that wouldn't make any sense at all so you kind of find that happy medium and that balance that'll really make fans happy and maybe attract some new ones as well and i think that this is exactly the vibe i was hoping for for a adaptation of the monsters so we'll see how it goes this September from Universal. Really quickly, update you on some Comic-Con stuff that you might not know about. NBC Universal going to have their stuff at Comic-Con. A lot of it's going to be focused on Peacock. you got Vampire Academy. It's going to have their, their panel on Thursday. That's the brand new series that I think that fans are really, really looking forward to based on the international best-selling book series. And that's basically got everything you would kind of expect in a young adult vampire series it's going to be and that's a that's a hot genre right now too there's a lot of vampire stuff actually that we're going to be seeing actually reginald the vampire is another one that's going to have a panel on saturday the new sci-fi series which we now know is going to be premiering on october the 5th along with chucky the same day and i think the end is nigh actually looks interesting the new bill nye series and it's basically this sci-fi this this disaster series it's 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 not a not a scripted series it's unscripted and But it actually takes a very interesting angle where you kind of looked at kind of, you know, how could how we could survive, mitigate, and prevent these natural and unnatural global disasters. And I think that that could be a really, really cool angle to take because you've always, you've always seen the other way, right? Like, here's how we could destroy ourselves, and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, this series actually looks at, you know, what we may might be able to do about it. And I think that's a really cool angle. You've also got Resident Aliens going to be at Comic-Con as well. The Resort, the new the new series from Peacock. That'll be a part of things. You get a, you'll get something for Chucky as well. I also love that they're going to have the NBC U Corner, which is kind of an activation outside. So there'll be stuff for Quantum Leap there. La Brea fans will get their fix there as well. And that'll be part of the gas lamp. If you're a Third Rock from the Sun fan, though, you can actually win the Rambler from Third Rock from the Sun during Comic-Con because of Cozy TV, which were one of the new homes for Third Rock from the Sun. And actually, French Stewart going to be at Comic-Con as well. But you can win the Rambler in this sweepstakes. If you want more information, go to Down and Nerdy Podcast 
Com. And that's that's another activation. You'll actually get to see the Rambler Thursday through Sunday at Comic-Con at the MLK Promenade. And that's near the Omni Hotel, in case you didn't know. So that that's something that I'm definitely going to be checking out, some of this NBC Universal stuff. You've also got a lot of stuff from Paramount+. Plus. It's going to be coming as well. Full-on Star Trek panel for Hall H on Saturday, which will have Picard, Lower Decks, and Strange New Worlds. Hard to argue with that. And then you've got Leah Thompson. That's going to be the pan. That's going to lead that panel, which I think is amazing. You've also got the Wrath of Pecan Cool House Ice Cream Truck that's going to be coming out on Saturday near Petco Park, and it, that's just wildly creative on their part. I, and that's going to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Wrath of Khan. You've also got the Teen Wolf movies going to have a panel. Beavis and Butthead going to come to Comic Con for the first time. You've got Evil that's also going to have a panel. A lot of the stuff is on Thursday. By the way, although Evil's on Saturday. Rugrats, you've got SpongeBob will be at Comic-Con. The new Transformers animated series, Transformers EarthSpark, that's coming to Nickelodeon and Paramount+. Plus. That'll have a panel on Friday as well. So I'm definitely looking forward to finding out more about this Transformers series because I think that, that one's really, really neat. Plus, I need to get my kids into Transformers something awful. So I really need something to get me into that. You can find all this panel information, by the way, at Down and, Re- Down and Nerdy Podcast. Dot com. I'm just kind of running through it quickly for you. I think it's interesting that Audible, you know, Amazon's Audible is going to have some panel stuff at Comic-Con as well. They'll be talking about Impact Winter, which is a brand new Audible series teaming up with kind of Skybound. They've got some comics with Skybound and Image Comics, and they've got the creative teams from that. That's going to be a part of this. But then you've got Moriarty, Moriarty, The Devil's Game which is a really cool new audio audio series. And Dominic Moynihan from Lost is going to be a part of that. Billy Boyd, Phil Lamar, the great Phil Lamar, going to be Sherlock Holmes in that series, which is really, really crazy. I love that so much. And it basically looks at what if Holmes' most villainous nemesis was actually an innocent man. That's the, that's the hook of this thing, of this audio drama. And they're actually going to have their panel on Thursday afternoon in the Indigo Ballroom at the Hilton. So that one is is really interesting. Plus, they're also going to have this Audible Beach experience where they're going to have like giant sandcastles based on these these audio series. And it's, you know, just, you know, kind of, that's the only way you're going to be able to have time to hit the beach at Comic-Con. Quite frankly, if you go to the Amazon Beach, that's going to be at the MLK Promenade near First Avenue if you're going to be at Comic-Con as well. So that's just a few things as I get closer to Comic-Con that you might be able to check out if you're there. But I'll have full-on Comic-Con coverage from San Diego all over our social medias, at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Also, make sure you're keeping up with downandnerdypodcast.com because this is when the Comic-Con coverage is really going to heat up, especially while I'm there. So I'll be taking videos, pictures, trying to post as much stuff as I can while all of the craziness is going on. And, of course, you know I've got a ton of interviews that are going to be coming up from Comic-Con as well. So I'm going to go pack. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'll be heading off to San Diego next week. So expect a little bit of radio silence on Tuesday and Wednesday when I'm traveling to San Diego. But there's going to be plenty of fun stuff to look forward to. And I can't wait to share that experience with you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. This is a great time to subscribe if you haven't yet on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you like to get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribing. You don't want to miss especially the next couple of weeks because you have the two-part recap of San Diego Comic-Con right here, as always, 
on the Down and Nerdy podcast. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.